morning. Continuing our discourse on the book of Matthew, today we're moving into chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last only worked one hour, and you made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The story behind the play and the movie Les Miserables is one of injustice and grace. The play begins with the lead character, Jean Valjean, is just released from 19 years in a hellish 18th century French prison five years for stealing a loaf of bread for his starving sister and her family, and 14 years for numerous escape attempts. Now Valjean finds himself repeatedly refused shelter for the night because of the yellow star he's required to wear, branding him as a criminal. The town's saintly bishop welcomes Valjean into his home. Valjean convinced that it's a dog-eat-dog world, repays his host's hospitality by stealing his silverware. When the police bring him back, the bishop protects his errant guest by pretending that the silverware was a gift and gives him silver candlesticks as well. Valjean is the recipient of amazing grace, unearned, undeserved, and unbelievable. Once he accepts this grace, 
it completely alters his life, causing him to see others in the light of goodness and compassion. Inspector Javert, however, has not received nor understood a grace like this. Consequently, he devotes his life to hunting down and bringing Valjean to what he thinks of as justice. Les Miserables is a story of grace and justice, as is the parable in today's scripture text. Jesus tells of a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agrees to pay them a denarius for a day's work. This was the going rate for manual labor. These men had come to the marketplace at the crack of dawn, hoping to be hired for the day so they could buy enough food that evening for their family. Three hours later, the landlord goes back to the marketplace and finding more men standing around, hires them as well, telling them he will pay them whatever is right. Every few hours, he goes back to the marketplace and hires more men. The last few hired only one hour before the end of the workday. At the end of the workday, the last ones hired are paid first, and they're paid a denarius, a day's wage for working one hour. I imagine they cannot believe their luck. They will have enough to feed their whole family tonight. Having watched each group receive their pay, the ones who worked all day cannot wait to see their pay. They're so excited at what they imagine their pay will be. Finally, the foreman comes to them and pays them each one denarius. They are indignant. One denarius, the same as those men who worked for one hour when we worked 12 hours? Where's the justice in that? Now the landowner reminds them that he paid them what they agreed to and what they thought was fair until they saw the others receive the same with less input. You see, to them, it was only fair as long as they were considered better than the others. Consider the following scenario. There's a play by Timothy Thompson based on this parable in which he depicts two brothers vying for work. John is strong and capable. Philip is just as willing, but has lost a hand in an accident. When the landowner comes, John is taken in the first wave of workers, and as he labors in the field, he looks up the lane for some sign of his brother Philip. Other workers are brought to the field, but Philip is not among them. John is grateful to have the work, but feels empty knowing that Philip is just as needful as he. Finally, as the last group of workers arrive, and Philip is among them. John is relieved to know that Philip will get to work at least one hour. But as the drama unfolds and those who came last get a full day's wages, John rejoices, 
knowing that Philip, his brother, will have the money necessary to feed his family. When it comes his turn to stand before the landowner and receive his pay, instead of complaining, as the others, John throws out his hand and says with tears in his eyes, Thank you, my Lord, for what you have done for us today. Through whose eyes are we viewing the situation? It is one thing if we are the full day worker. The scene looks different if you are the one hour worker who gets passed over again and again because you walk with a crutch. The view is different if your Down syndrome son cannot get a job with a living wage. The view is different if you are a barely 18-year-old girl relocated from a refugee camp in Ethiopia to Minnesota and expected to secure a job that will support you and your two younger sisters. My friend has worked for three years with that family. God's justice arises out of a sense of community in which we see the 11th hour workers as our brothers and sisters whose needs are every bit as important as our own. You see, the issue is not unfair payments. The full day workers complain because the landlord has made them, the one hour workers, equal to the full day workers. The full day workers think they are due a sense of superiority. Now let's get honest here. How many of us would feel we had anything in common with the men standing in line at the day labor office? When is the last time you had an actual conversation with the maid at your hotel? I have a friend who always seeks out the maid in the hotel hallway to inquire how she is, does she have a family, etc., and then asks if she may pray with her right there in the hotel hallway. Then she gives her a tip in person with a sincere thank you for doing such a good job taking care of her. Have you ever felt resentment when you heard someone with less education or with much less experience than you earns a better wage? It's not fair. Have you ever thought God's preference may be to show uncommon compassion to those who don't have it so good, but not me. They should know their place. It's only fair. What about the people who work in third world countries for substandard wages making our clothes, trinkets, and electronic toys? Even though they will never earn enough to own these products themselves, have you ever thought, well, it may not be what I earn, but it's more than other jobs in their country. It's good enough. If you think you have no arrogance, you have never been one to be uppity, consider this last point that Barbara Brown Taylor, 
an Episcopal priest and one of the United States' best-known preachers once made in a sermon. When we read this parable, why do we tend so quickly to identify with the folks hired at the crack of dawn? Why do we so readily assume that when God's kingdom fully comes, we will be the ones tempted to feel upset, in that we will also be shown to be the hardest workers of them all? That in itself is arrogance and prejudice. In her sermon on Matthew 20, Barbara Brown Taylor says that the parable is like a little bit like the cod liver oil that mothers used to give their kids to cure what ailed them. You know it's good for you. You trust the one giving it to you, but that still does not make it easy to swallow. Most of us are born into this world with a huge sense of infantile entitlement, followed by, at a very early age, a seemingly intuitive sense of fairness and unfairness. It's like Charlie Brown's little sister Sally in the classic Charlie Brown Christmas special. At one point, Sally is writing a letter to Santa Claus and in the process generates an enormous list of toys she wants. Then at the conclusion of her wish list, she writes, but if all that is too much to carry, just send cash. When Charlie Brown sees this and despairs over his own sister's greed, Sally indignantly responds, All I want is my fair share. All I want is what I have coming to me. If it wasn't for Jesus, none of us would want what is coming to us. Because of Jesus, we have grace. Grace called us to work in the kingdom. Grace lets us perform ministry. Grace compensates for our shortcomings in that work. And grace, not our own hard-won merits, is what crowns the work at the end of the day. Thanks be to God for grace, for all. Amen.